Many of y'all glad he is the highest? Yes, Lord, he is the highest of them all. Just a a few brief things as we um, begin in the text this morning. Um, I want us to. Um, uh, it's a lot that's going on. I want you to. Look into that, engage in those different opportunities, excited about uh, economic development initiatives that we are <clears throat> diving into uh, to show that because the gospel has heavenly mindedness, it has earthly goodness. Y'all should have said amen right there. Um, because the gospel, I mean, many times we have used the misnomer phrase that to be of too heavenly minded is to be of no earthly good. Well, that's not heavenly mindedness. And we'll see that in the text today, uh, because heaven always impacts earth. If that wasn't so, uh, the heavenly mindedness of Jesus drove him to come to earth. And so um, and so we're we're not escapist, if you will, but we believe that the might of the gospel is able to change everything. And so we want to see that happen, Um, engage with our salt ministry as well as they are taking women into the richness of a biblical theology of womanhood. How many of you know that's needed? Oh, wow. That's needed. And so um, they're going through a study by Nancy Lee DeMoss, um, and it's a great study. It's a great study. It's a great study. It's a great study. Uh, Lies women believe. And so being nurtured by the truth in Scripture and the gospel, I want you ladies to dive into that as an opportunity to increase your uh, biblical femininity bandwidth. Amen. 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 Don't let the world guide you. Let Christ guide you. Um, Yes. Um, Last but not least, you know we're going to three gatherings. Um, How many of y'all excited about that, going to three gatherings? Amen. My leaders didn't clap at all. Um, (laughs) My leaders who lead on Sundays, God bless y'all. God going to increase the territory. Amen. See all the members here. There's more people coming. There's more people coming. So we'll be able to spread the wealth. So keep that lifted. Um, we'll be announcing that more formally. Um, but 9, 11, and 1 seems to be a sufficient time for us to expand our ability to reach more people and to provide more room for those who come on Sunday mornings. All right. Well, let's stand to our feet. <coughs> um, stand to our feet. Pray my strength as I am finishing up. I'm, I'm getting my system rid of this sinus infection. Uh, the, the, the weather's changing. They, they're a little beastie for me every time. So keep me lifted as we dive in. Uh, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. I want you to read it nice and unified and resoundingly uh, all together. On three, you guys go. One, two, three, go.
Yeah. Amen, amen, amen. So in our series through 2 Corinthians, I want to tag our current text today, uh, being convinced of eternal realities, being convinced of eternal realities. Let's go before our king. Father, we um, thank you for eternity, and I thank you that uh, eternity for the believer starts at new birth. Uh, it's, it's sort of a hard reality living on earth and experiencing new birth and experiencing the challenges of this world that we go through almost seems like eternal life hasn't begun. But you have given us a multitude of signals to know, God, that um, help is on the way. And so, God, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, open up our minds to be expanded. Expand us, if you will. Uh, to see the glory of eternity and its impact on our reality now. And so, God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust and help us not to just be hearers uh, deceiving ourselves, but help us to be effectual doers. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Let me ask a quick question. By show of hands, um, how many of you know that this ministry exists in the inner city by show of hands? By show of hands. Everybody don't have their hand up. Uh, all you got to do is look outside. Amen. Um, the inner city. Um, inner city not being center city, as many would think, but inner city is usually a coined phrase that's used to communicate that part of a complex urban setting or a city that finds itself around that which is challenging, crime um, and difficulties. Um, and, so, and, so, and so that's where we are. How many of you know this is an urban church? Amen, by show of hands. Yeah, you, you, I mean, I, I know, I'm, I'm asking, I, I know, just bear with me uh, for a minute, but, but, but it's very, very, one of the things that I want us to begin to do, and I've talked to the elders and even the leaders, I'm talking to them about it, about us re-engaging where we are us recognizing, do we know where we are? I know that we come from all around the region. Um, we come from Jersey, we come from Delaware, we come from Delaware County, we come from Bucks County, uh, we come uh, from Camden, all, all different types of places. But then we come from around the city, West Oak Lane, Logan, uh, Germantown, Mount Airy, West Philly, Wynwood, Winfield, Green Hill Farms, Overbrook Farms, Overbrook, uh, 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 Powelton, uh, uh, Feltonville, Frankfort, uh, Northwood, uh, 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 Bustleton, uh, uh, Pennypack, Oxford Circle. I could keep naming because I love this city. But, but, I, but, but all of us come from different sectors of the region. However, God has called us at this time to incarnate here. And as he's called us to incarnate here, as we do 
local, national, international missions, one of the things that we must recognize is that in um, our city and in this neighborhood is, is a predominantly African-American neighborhood by way of long-term residence. And in light of that reality, many times <coughs> we don't know the apologetical realities that have plagued sort of the philosophies of people in contexts like this. Because of the sociological condition and economic conditions that many people find themselves in, um, there are those who have brought what I call black mythology to the block. Black mythology um, has been brought to the block uh, by many who would uh, prey on the fact that African Americans are struggling to connect with their ethnic identity in light of the transatlantic slave trade. And in light of that reality, what has happened is, is there's sort of a, a, a cross-eyed look at identity that African Americans are still searching for. So you had groups like uh, the 23 Scientists, you had uh, people like the Moorish Temple of Science, you had people like the Nation of Islam, you had uh, people like Pan-Africanism, Al-Islam, uh, now Sunni Salafi Islam. And now you have what uh, is trying to track that reality, in some ways good, in some ways bad, the Black Lives Matter movement. And Everyone is trying to work through the reality of identity. And guess what? It's not just an African-American issue. I would say that you didn't have to go through the transatlantic slave trade to struggle with who in the world you are. As a matter of fact, your parents may have been immigrants to this country, and you're still struggling with who you are. Um, you may have grown up in the best household. You may be getting the best degree that you can, but you are still struggling with who am I? Where do I come from? Why am I here? Is there life after death? What matters the most? What makes me happy? Is there anything out there or anyone out there for me? And is God real? Everybody wrestles with those things, but interestingly enough, God has booby-trapped the souls of human beings based on Kohelet 511, um, and what, Kohelet or Ecclesiastes, if you will, um, he, he, he says, God has placed eternity in our hearts. Now, what does it mean that he has placed eternity in our hearts? I'm glad you asked. It has so much to do with this passage right here, is, is, is him placing eternity in our hearts <clears throat> points to the fact that even though we're totally depraved in our sin, we're not fully living out our depravity of our sin. Stay with me. And in light of that reality, God has booby-trapped the souls of humanity so that you will want something or know that something bigger is out there, but unable to reach and to grab a hold of it on your own. In, 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 in other words, that's why you see people creating um, eternity substitutes in their life. And what happens is, is when you create eternity substitutes, you create mythologies and pathologies and idolatries that further move you further away from the living God. But you as a believer, no matter what your ethnicity, it's nothing wrong with seeking your ethnic identity and understanding that and where you came from. That's a part of, I believe, God creating you artistically to know on ground geographically where you're located and where you came from so that you can know the message you need to be sanctified of in light of your family. <laughs> Ain't nobody gonna say enough amens on that part. <laughs> Mess has been passed down generationally, amen. However, Paul, is making a grander point. For the believer, <coughs> he is challenging the believer to let their identity be driven 
by an eternal perspective. And in having our identity driven powerfully enough by an eternal perspective, he goes in this passage and in the midst of talking about suffering and the difficulties of the cards that we've been dealt on planet Earth, he now goes into this text and he's helping shape, shape us in the reality of being convinced of et- our eternal realities. I got one point and one point only for you today out of these verses. If you're going to be convinced of eternal realities, you must know uh, that Jesus is the only way for you to understand everything. <laughs> for, for you to be able to understand everything, Jesus, that's not reductionistic, that's all-inclusive, um, it, it, it's, 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 it's pointing to the reality that Jesus is the only way to understand anything. Look at what Paul says. He says, for we know, I'll just stop there. This is, this is beautiful. Um, this reality of this is pointing to the fact Um, that we are in a glorious state of God giving us the ability in our faith to be convinced of some things. That means that, uh, 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 that, that the believer has the ability to be convinced. Remember those mythologies that I was talking about earlier. Many of those mythologies that were created um, in the hood um, uh, to really distance people and hoodwink people from the church was basically saying that all the church cares about is getting your money and then uh, uh, making you think about the sweet by and by, but the gospel doesn't make any type of enjoyment now. And so Paul says, I'm going to do both, right? Paul says it's about both. It's about both. In other words, the knowledge of eternal realities impact your mission and commitment in the now reality. And so he says, he says, for we know that if the earthly tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. <coughs> like this, a house not made with human hands. I, I, this idea of tent is a play on words because he could have just said body, but it's interesting that he uses tent. Tent po- points culturally and theologically here. Are you still tracking with me today? Um, he's pointing two directions. He's pointing, of course, to their understanding of the tent culture of the Hellenistic culture of their day where tents would be put up, tents would be put down, and they were easily destroyed because tents were always made to be temporary. Tents were not made to be a long-term place where you establish a family in. It's only to be pitched up and taken down, but a tent can't weather much. So, so, so we see on the temporal side, let's look on the theological side, tent points back to the tent of meeting in the Old Testament. And when you look at the tent of meeting in the Old Testament, where um, th- that was a temporary dwelling place of God, he, he, he transposes that reality to this text. And as he's transposing this reality to his text, he says, he says it beautifully. Now have that in your mind as you read this, family. He says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In other words, he's talking to people that are being beat up by life, <coughs> that are feeling the impact of a hellacious planet that's not hell. This ain't hell. Amen. So what he's doing is he's helping them to recognize that trouble won't last always, as the old church said. 
And in him saying that trouble won't last always, he's helping God's people to build the framework for recognizing why it's challenging now, give them footing now, but their footing isn't about a human prosperity on earth. Because if you only promise people prosperity on earth, you miss it. I don't know if any of you guys uh, used to watch the lives of the rich and famous, you know what I'm saying? Some of y'all may have came in on the MTV junk called uh, The Fabulous Life Of. You know what I'm saying? That's, your, that's the new generation's, um, you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous. You know what I'm saying? But we used to have the lifestyles of the rich and famous back in the day. Now they have The Fabulous Life Of and all that kind of stuff, right? And when you was on the show, you would, interestingly enough, see all of the, you cats got yachts and houses and all different types of just jewelry. I remember when they had Liberace on that joint. Liberace had, you know, I mean, he's the creator of bling. And I, you know, he had, he had, I don't even see how he put his, he couldn't even put his fingers together. He had so many rings on his finger. Just craziness, right? Um, 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 um. And, 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 and so what we see to the, he was, he was the past generation's two chains. Let me just make it clear, okay? All right. <laughs> just, just to translate, you know what I'm saying? So anyway, um, I got to touch the older generation, got to touch the younger generation, boom. I know the older generation like, who's two chains? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Trying to figure that out. But um, <clears throat> and he never has on two chains. He has on a bunch of chains. So, um, <clears throat> but one of the things that you would find when you do the backstory is that the stuff that they have never makes them happy. There's something in us that believes if we have more, I'll feel better about myself. If I have more money, everything will be all right. God, if you just help me hit the lottery, I'm gonna sneak in here with my hood on God, and I'm gonna play this next billion dollar joint. Help me to be the only one that wins. I promise I'm gonna get to the church, church planning, foreign missions, and all of that, right? You understand what I'm saying? But we, it's something in us that believes if, if not the quality of our life is better based on needs being met, but if I can experience an overwhelmingly amount of greed enjoyment, I'll be happy. And Paul says, you and amen. There's, there's no level, there's no level based on you being renewed by the renewing power of the gospel. There's no level of earthly provision that can quench the thirst of an eternal soul. And so, and so Paul, as he begins to walk us through this reality, he's trying to get believers to not be worldly in their disposition, but godly in their disposition. So he says, we have a building from God, <coughs> a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So God has an eternal coat rack in heaven. Um, and this is the only place, see, um, uh, uh, you know, God has a rack in heaven. You know what I'm saying? A rack of outfits called bodies. Clothes already on them, just hanging there. You, did you know your new body is hanging in heaven just like this on a coat rack? I just got this out the text. It's right there. And it's eternal. It's eternal awaiting you, even though it's technically not there, but it's there proleptically. We'll talk about that in a second. Because it's beautiful here that we have an eternal tent that will help. I, oh, help me don't get ahead of myself. In other words, God made your soul in a way to, because it's renewed, it's uncomfortable in this body. Mm. Let me see if I can teach this thing. Let me, let me see if I can teach it like I see it. In other words, it's, 
your body, your body and your soul aren't programmed to properly coexist together. Uh, so what's happening is you're going to struggle here because this is not who you really are. Somebody going to get me in a second. <laughs> and so what's going to happen is what's supposed to happen to you is you're supposed to get sick of it. Okay, let, let me not get ahead of myself. Let, let's, go, let's go down. <laughs> he says, for we, he says, for in this tent we groan. Stop right there. Now, let me ask you a question before I, I don't even need to do no exegetical work here. Do you groan in your body? Don't even say you do. Stop lying. Most of us have become so spiritually comfortable on earth that we don't feel the groan that we need to feel here. There's a soul discomfort that you should have that should make you not complacent, yet spiritually be content and not be complacent, yet discontented with being here. See, that's what he's saying here. He's saying, uh, we groan. I, I, I like this. Um, uh, uh, it, it means to vocally indicate pain. Discomfort. <laughs> Displeasure. And, and, and in some ways, it's inarticulate at times. In other words, to express one's involuntary in the face, even in your face, a sigh or a groan about you're not okay with being here fully. Let me see if I can make it plain. What, what in this world are you sick of? I'm a name of just a few things. I'm sick of political leadership that refuses to live up to God's word. I'm sick of the hardship of the poor having no opportunities open to them. Um, I'm just sometimes just randomly vexed just by stuff. Sick of racism, the denial of the existence of racism, the lack of unity in the church. Ain't nobody going to say amen. It's okay. Bad weather, colds, allergies, sinus infections. Y'all ain't going to talk to me. Can't even enjoy the weather change. That should make you groan. It's beautiful outside, but I'm getting hoarse. It's crazy. Sick of divorce. Sick of broken relationships. Sick of depression. What makes you groan? Is there anything? Every now and then, your soul should have sackcloth and ashes on it. Because you're frustrated with the Bible says creation groans in pain for the revelation of the sons of God. In other words, trees and weather scream Maranatha, Lord. Um, it's kind of like, well, this is why we're supposed to be. You, you know, you're supposed to be like a teenager living in your parents' house and wanting to be out of it. That, that's what you're supposed to feel like. I can't wait to get out of here, man to get out of here, man. Make my own money. <laughs> and sometimes you're like, I wish I was back, but you know. Um, but it's nothing like getting out of the place of groaning. Even if you're having a hard time, you enjoy it because you feel free. That's the feeling that the believer should have being on earth. 
And that's the passion that we have. He says, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. So our heavenly dwelling <coughs> is recreated to be properly synced up with the new body, with the soul. In other words, your soul is longing for, it, it's almost like they talking to each other. Where you at, body? Like, man, look at me. You know what I'm saying? Looking up. In, in other words, there's supposed to be um, this longing disposition because why? You're not longing for the body. Help me today. You're longing for the removal of that which impedes full maximum enjoyment of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what it's about. In other words, you're longing, for, you're longing for that which gets out of the way, that which impedes full enjoyment of your mediator. And so that's what Paul begins uh, to, to look at. I mean, we're, we're sort of out here on earth, sort of like the deer in the wilderness. I don't know if you watch National Geographic or the one of the antelope, you know what I'm saying? You know when they go to the water thing and they start drinking? And it's real quiet. <laughs> it's real quiet, you know. This, this, we literally are just like them. What they do? They go down, they drink, but their eyes be up like this, looking around. <laughs> eyes be, they be looking around like a monkey, drinking down, they carrying on, looking and, and, and everything. And, 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 and behind them are lions down, and then coming towards them is alligators. I mean, in front of you, behind you, just all kinds of stuff happening to you, but you feeling like everything's all right in the moment. <clears throat> and so you can't even drink a piece. The alligator trying to get you, you know what I'm saying? And the lion trying to get you, you gotta run off. And it's just like, I'm sick of this. You should be like them animals. You should be like, I'm sick of this. Can't even drink water in peace. Can't have a baby in peace. Can't move the herd in peace. You should be like, in other words, I'm not talking about walking around all the time complaining, but every now and then you need to acknowledge your discomfort with earth. This is beautiful. This is beautiful for your devotional life. <laughs> he, said if, he said, indeed, he said, if indeed putting it on, we may not be found naked. I don't think I'm going to get through all this. Good God Almighty. It's too much to preach on one Sunday. All right. It, this is crazy. He said, we won't be found naked. Now, this is interesting. Wow. Mm. <laughs> when he talks about being found naked, it points again to two things. This, this, is, this is just beautiful. It points to in their culture, like in Greek culture, they were just comfortable with nudity. I mean, nudity was so, I mean, like, you, got, you got the statues, you got the, the Olympic Games, you go to the beach, forget topless, folks just walking around in the fullness of their birthday suit. You know what I'm saying? So the Jews go to the beach, you know, the Jews would go to the beach like this. You know, they just go to the beach like this. You know, that's how they would go to, because <coughs> Jewish culture wasn't as comfortable with pervasive nudity, and nudity became regular. Because for the Greeks, being unclothed was natural. But for the believer, being clothed was natural. Why? Oh, God, help me. Because when you go back to Genesis, the Bible says, and Paul has pointed at, they were naked and unashamed. Why? This is beautiful. Because even though Adam and Eve were physically nude, they were spiritually clothed. 
Ah, y'all not going to talk back to me. That's why the first thing they did when they fell was do what? Cover themselves. And the thing that they covered themselves with was going to what? Die. So here, he says, beautifully, he says, we won't be left naked. Now, what did naked mean for that? <coughs> naked and unashamed meant free from exploitation. Not worrying about anything being broken up, but freely enjoying the covering of God. He says, we won't be found naked. In other words, we won't be found unclothed by the might of God's glory through the Lord Jesus Christ in our new bodies. This is beautiful. In other words, when we get, the assumption is when we get clothed, we're never afraid of exploitation again. We're never ex- afraid of emotional brokenness ever again because of what Christ has done for us. This is beautiful. He says, for while, <coughs> he says, for while we are in this tent, while we're in this tent, we groan. He says, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. I like this because what he's helping us to recognize and to get our minds around is this beauty of the fact that it's okay to be burdened by this life in the sense of discomfort. But then he goes, he says, not that we would be unclothed. He says, but that we would be clothed further so that what is mortal may put off, if you will, may put, be swallowed up by life. So the mortal being swallowed up points to God removing every being or everything subject to death again. That means nothing in our lives will ever be subject to death again. This is banging. He says, everything that could be destroyed will be done away with. In other words, anything that can destroy us and tear us apart, eventually Christ is going to get rid of. (laughs) He's going to get rid of everything fully. He says, however, the now body will be truly immortal. The new body will be uh, truly immortal as Adam and even more, not because of of the, in other words, God caused them not to eat of the tree of life so they wouldn't be eternally damned away. That's why he took them out. Now we can not worry about living eternal lives in eternal death, but now we get to live eternal life with our Lord. So therefore, Jesus was raised anew. Our redemption is practically complete once our redeemed souls are placed in our new bodies. And so he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. I like this. And him saying that (laughs) He who has prepared us for this is God. Here is interesting. The tense here, it's Eris middle. It's interesting. Eris, if you will, I don't usually like to do this, but it, Greek has a bunch of past tense. But here the Eris points, it's a snapshot of a whole of an action as being done in the past. But middle means done for oneself. <laughs> so what he's saying here is that God has prepared us for himself for this very thing is God. So, so, so in other words, the cross not only affects us, but God enjoys the benefit of redeeming us. I'm going to close here. See if I can make it plain. See, y'all don't, y'all, y'all, y'all don't go. God enjoys the fact that we get redeemed and he likes to watch 
his cooking work. Okay, let me see if we can make fun. Um, you know, um, there's a, um, there's a, when we went to Dallas, my wife and I, we had um, some people that sort of took us in as uh, their children. Um, there's Wayne and Joanne Mitchell in uh, Dallas, Texas, and Mama Joe could cook. Jesus knows she could minister to the stomach. <laughs> Amen. Uh, best pound cake on this side of heaven. And she made a apple strudel pound cake that would destroy the ground you stand under. <laughs> and she made her cornbread with pieces of corn in it. And, and it, was, it was almost like dessert. It was so good. Um, so many good things that she would make. And she made the best gumbo I've ever had. But what's interesting is, is that when she would do all of this work in the kitchen, to do all of this work, and she'd taste stuff, and she'd be throwing stuff away if it wasn't right. And that, that'd drive me nuts. I'd be trying to go in the trash can to get it. I'd say, that's good to my standards. And so, <laughs> I don't want to cake away. I'm like, Ma, don't do that. Um, but, but, but what she would do is once the food was done and it was laid out, she would sit back and wouldn't eat. It's the most interesting thing I used to watch her do. She would never eat. After Pop Mitchell would pray, everybody would bum rush. <laughs> Go real fast. Um, <laughs> my bad, I saw some of y'all faces. <laughs> my bad. The buffet. And when they go real fast to the buffet, she would just sit and watch and smile. And she got pleasure just out of seeing the look on our faces when we ate what she worked to cook. When you picked up the gumbo, when you sucking that piece of crab fully out, Hallelujah. <laughs> Dropping shrimp in your gut and all different types of things and smelling the aromas and laughing and talking about how good it is. She didn't say a word. She just enjoyed that what she had created and what she had made was being enjoyed by who she made it for. <laughs> God. God has prepared these things for us. God has prepared life for us. God, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, coming from heaven, coming down to earth, dying on the cross, being lifted up from the grave uh, with all power in his hands, and then we believing in that reality because the Bible says God was pleased to crush Jesus. Guess what? He enjoyed what he was cooking. When he sees you turn from sin, he's enjoying himself. When he sees you healing from brokenness, he's enjoying himself. <laughs> when he sees you walking through pain, he's enjoying himself. When he sees you getting divorced, but still being all right afterwards, he says, I, I didn't like the divorce happen, but I'm so happy for you because you're still making it now. You're a single mom and you're frustrated. And God says, I'm still blessing you and I'm still with you and I'm taking care of you in the midst of all that you're gone through, your survival isn't just for your testimony. Your survival is God's pleasure. 
But ultimately, guess what? Ultimately, we're going to be with him forever. And it bewilders me. I know the Westminster Catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But the chief reality of God is to always be glorified and enjoy himself and the products of his glory forever. So I pray that as we live this life, we recognize that there's eternal benefits to our life. Don't you let this crazy world make you forget about the fact that we're not going to always be here and that one day the great God, the God of all creation is going to return and he is going to recreate everything. And the first thing he recreated is you by faith in Jesus Christ. The first thing, nothing else was created until by faith alone, through grace alone, through Christ alone, your soul was transformed. And that is the chain reaction of Christ's resurrection. It's to start with the resurrected souls of those who believe, then the resurrected souls, not only resurrect essence, but resurrect and get married to your new body that's programmed to your soul, and then he'll judge everything, and then everything will be recreated anew. What a wonderful reality we get to live out, and what a wonderful reality we get to look forward to. Father, being convinced of eternal realities doesn't make us value less here or without value. It shows off the glory and might of the value that you've placed on us. Uh, Lord, I'm praying in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would help us to see and enjoy the fact that you're coming, we're living to live again. Maybe there's someone here. Maybe there's someone here and you don't know this one that's going to change everything. Maybe, maybe, you, don't, maybe you don't know him as Savior and the pardon of your sins. Um, and, you, and you don't know if you died today whether or not you'd be spending eternity with him. You don't know that. And if that's you, we'd love to talk to you about what it means to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. What it looks like to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. That means going from being alienated and separate from God to God through Jesus Christ, using his death and resurrection. By you trusting in what he's done for you, that God's wrath won't be poured out on you, but poured out on him instead. Were you trusting that God will make you new? And immediately eternal life begins. And we don't have to wait till we die to live eternity and e- eternally and enjoy it. But that starts once you put your confidence in Christ and Christ alone. If you're here today, if you're here today and you want to put your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, slip your hand in the air. And we'd love to pray for you and talk to you about what it means to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Anyone here today say, I want to put my confidence in Jesus. Anyone? Anyone? Anyone, I want to put my faith and confidence in what Christ has done for me. It's not about what you do for him. That doesn't save you. What saves you is what he's done for you. 
If you're here today and say, I want to put my faith in him, slip your hand in the air. We'd love to talk to you about Christ. Amen. Let our men come. Let our men come and let us celebrate.